0: podcast. New City is a church in Bath Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 called The Reward of Secret Piety. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Beware of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as a hypocrite do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Lord, teach us what our hearts need to hear today through your word. And Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes so that that might be possible. And let us be drawn closer to our Savior Jesus. Help us to be transformed into his image, Lord God. Uh, Rebuke us and correct us. Fill us with the blessing of knowing the truth. Your word says that the truth sets people free. So I pray that we would be free today from the bondage of sin, from the selfishness that plagues our hearts, the self-seeking praise that we desire. Kill that today, Lord, and uh, we long to hear from you, Lord. So pour out your spirit on this church and give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I start, I do want to just give a quick plug for one of the announcements, the prayer evening, and by the way, we've had an issue with the mic. If you, see, if you hear it cut out for a few seconds, don't, don't just act like nothing happened, that'll help me, because yeah, I notice it, <laughs> and if you don't notice it, or pretend that you don't, that would be great. Uh, The prayer night on August 2nd, I'm convinced is something that needs to happen, and I hope that all of you feel a conviction and a tug on your heart to be here, and to move things around on your schedule so that the prayer meeting becomes the thing on your event calendar, and not the thing that gets to get moved around, so that other things can take its place. You understand what I'm saying by that? It's so important. At our city group the other night, at our table, it took a, ma- a matter of 10 seconds before all the world issues were being talked about. There's a lot of stuff going on, right? Um, we need to pray. And there's all sorts of different ways to pray. You can pray at home, you can pray in your closet, you pray on your drive to work, but there is something about corporate prayer when we come together as a body and agree together in prayer. So I hope and I pray that this is a season that New City Church takes seriously and that the prayer meeting rivals the Sunday morning meeting in its attendance, amen? What would that say, one, to your own heart that is worth your time, and then what a witness to the community that is watching a church that says they walk with God, that would be an amazing thing. And also how awesome it is to be praying to our Father in heaven and and entrusting all that we have into his hands. So keep that in your minds and be praying about the prayer meeting. Pray for the prayer meeting. That makes sense. Yep. All right, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6. Um, we are in a sort of a new section, but we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's been a, a, an amazing time, challenging, uh, looking at all sorts of different things as Christ challenged the status quo of the law and how things were being interpreted at the time. And so we have a recurring thought that is about to, a new theme that we're about to enter into over the next three weeks. So this Sunday, next Sunday, and the one after. There's a recurring thought in these next few sections of the sermon, and it is this, and you can sort of keep this in mind. It's a contrast between genuine righteousness that is lived before God and the hypocrite or the pretender. There's the genuine righteousness, live before God, and then there's the hypocrite, and these things come up in three different sections as Jesus is teaching, and he's uh, giving this amazing sermon. So that's really what a hypocrite is. I thought I would just stop for a moment and talk about what a hypocrite is. I mentioned the word pretender. A hypocrite is literally, in this day, especially as it would have been interpreted then, a stage player, an actor. And it makes perfect sense when you think about hypocrisy, you think about a true hypocrite, and we'll dive deeper into that as the text brings us through this topic, but it makes perfect sense that the hypocrite, the one that Jesus is warning us against, is this actor, the stage play. So I want to remember, though this is a warning and there's many things that we're told not to do, there is a... uh, a commonality. There's a connection between this text and all that we've already been talking about. I want to draw those lines so we can make a connection of the whole context. Because in this short section that we've been studying, if you look back at chapter 5, verse 13, and through 16, just glance back there for a moment, uh, you'll remember that Jesus began talking about here the effect of Christians and how we're supposed to have an effect on the entire world. There's a part of our lives that's supposed to be seen and visible. Let's read it again. So chapter 5, verse 13 says, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand.'" And it gives light to all that is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what's really happening here is in chapter 6, verse 1, and then chapter 5, verse 15, we have the antithesis. Jesus is saying, let your light shine so that God might be glorified. And then in chapter 6, Beginning in verse one, it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. So that's the opposite. Jesus says, what people see in you should glorify God, not yourself. So it's really interesting that Jesus then takes us further into this sermon, and now he's gonna teach us how the world does this and and how the hypocritical Christian thinks about themselves or the religious leader. We know from this teaching that what pleases Christ is a life that others can see. You can't just hide, right? You have to be seen by others as a Christian. Otherwise, the whole concept of salt and light just doesn't make any sense. If we are lights for the world, then we have to be seen. If we are salt, then the salt must be near those things that need to be salted and have the effect of a Christian witness. But the result of being seen is clear in Matthew 5, as Jesus taught, that it should point to the Father. Our works should cause others to see that and glorify the Father in heaven. We know that what does not please Christ, hear this please, is when Christians live just to please themselves or when their acts of righteousness, like the three that Jesus is about to address, prayer, Fasting and generosity, these three outward acts of righteousness that were common in this day and are still disciplines today, when they're simply done as a means to gratify the flesh, the flesh that deeply desires the praises of others. And I, this sermon, for all of us to hear it and for it to really be effective, is going to require a lot of honesty as you sit and listen. The tendency is to say, That's not me. I don't desire anyone's praise. And that would be a lie in some degree or another the human heart loves and craves to be praised the desire to be seen by others and because this is so common of a sin among us jesus teaches and begins with a warning notice in chapter 6 verse 1 he says beware beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And so he begins with this warning. The Greek word means to take heed to oneself. That word beware, take heed, look at yourself, be warned. In some contexts, believe it or not, this word is actually the word to portray addiction. Be so committed to this, be watchful over yourself, be aware. So aware that it's like you are addicted to watching over yourself to see that you don't do this. Beware. Jesus is giving us the permission. He's telling us to tune into our sinful tendencies in this particular area. To turn our minds here and be so watchful that it's as though you are addicted to it. And so we're not just turning our minds there for the sake of awareness. Jesus also gives us a way of escape. He doesn't just say, tune into this sinful tendency and just wallow in it. No, put your finger on it, be aware of it, and now there's something that we can do to get out of it. But the warning comes first. Don't do what you do as a Christian in order to be seen by others, and here's why. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's actually where the warning goes deeper. It's not just in the don't do this, you naughty little child. <laughs> it's don't do this, here's the amazing blessing that you're missing. See, isn't, doesn't warning go even deeper when you see that there's a warning of what not to do because here's what you're gonna miss. Here's what you don't get if we don't heed the warning. You will not receive reward from your Father in heaven. And so it needs to be pointed out at this point that in order for this to really mean something, in order for this to even work as a warning, we have to believe something. There's something, and maybe you've already noticed it, maybe you've seen it in the text already, there's something that the text is asking each of us to believe this morning. A positive statement, not just don't do this, but this is what we need to believe What we need to believe is this, if you haven't noticed it, God has rewards to give. Do we even believe that? That God has rewards? The God of heaven, the creator, he's got rewards to give us. That's amazing. That's incredible. I'm just trying to, like, it's... I believe, I trust that in your deepest heart, you're just amazed by God's rewards. (laughs) Think about it. Quiet as you might be in your seat, don't let your heart go without rejoicing that your Father in heaven has rewards for you. God has rewards to give, and God's rewards are greater than any other reward. They are better than anything you can offer yourself or anything that anyone else could offer you. Just by the mere fact that they come from God because God is infinite, holy creator, the designer of all things that are good, the creator of joy and happiness and pleasure, the originator of all that is amazing is God and God, your father, has rewards to give. So I want that just to settle for a moment. Think about that in your own heart. Repeat it to yourself for just a moment. My Father wants to reward reward me. My Father in heaven has rewards for me. Hebrews 11.6 says it pretty plainly. Without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking of God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's actually a requirement for us as we approach God, that if we live a life of faith that pleases God, what is coupled with that faith is belief that he not only exists, but that he is a rewarder. God doesn't desire that we believe that he exists alone, but that he is a giver of great rewards. And in order to see that and have that and experience that, it does require faith, belief, trust in his reward. Now, it needs to be pointed out too that salvation is not a reward for good deeds. So if you're here this morning and the gospel has not ever been really clarified to you, you can do all sorts of good things in this life and, and the reward of that is not salvation. You cannot do enough good things in order to access heaven and be forgiven by God. It takes something far greater than that. The, the scripture says that it takes the, the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so in order for us to, to have access to God and be in his presence, it requires our faith in the perfect substitute of Jesus that he lived perfectly for us, and not only that, he died perfectly, sacrificially in our place. So that as we put our faith in him, his good, perfect record is placed on our account, and we are seen as righteous in God's eyes. That's the only access into heaven, is through faith in Jesus. And so when we start talking about rewards and good deeds, it's very important that that becomes, that that's also clear. So please know that. If you're here, if you're a guest, if you're visiting, and, you, and that's not been clear, clarified, that is very, very important. It's not by good deeds, but the merits of Christ alone. But we also need to understand, church, that there are rewards, gifts, promises, and good and gracious things that are dispensed from our Father in heaven. Once he is your Father, then you look at him as a son or a daughter, looks at his or her father, and sees the goodness of a father and the willingness and the kindness to reward and to bless What good father doesn't want to bless their child? What good father doesn't want to give good gifts to their children? Jesus even uses that. A child who asks for something of their father, what father would not give? What father would give the the opposite? Give a, a stone instead of bread? Child, daddy, I'm hungry. Here's a rock for you. It wouldn't happen. Because we have a good father. But the problem that is common to all of us is that there are other rewards and we see them. We live our lives and we see that there are also other rewards all around us that are being offered to us. Rewards for actions, if we do this, we get this. And they're all over the place from all sorts of different sources. We are aware that there are other rewards, and that's what this text presents. It's the tension that exists between the flesh that desires the reward of the world and the spirit of a person that is satisfied in the way of God's kingdom. Those are the two things. It's either you are desirous of the flesh-seeking satisfaction that comes from the world, or you are satisfied in the way of the kingdom, the way that God does things, which is generally slower and takes more patience the reward comes later. So if you want immediate reward, you're going to gratify the flesh and you're going to do as your sinful tendency continues to lead you, lead you. And that needs to be understood. That's what this text is bringing up the tension. I want to personally I want to be a child of my father who loves his rewards. That's where my mind is focused and that's where I want you to be too and that's where our prayers should be directed. God, make me someone who is satisfied in the rewards of my Father in heaven, not what I can give myself or what anyone can give me. That one phrase should mean something to all of us who believe. Let's look at what Jesus says. He says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. May it not be so, Think about that pronouncement over your life for a moment, and just imagine what life would be like in that existence. You have no reward from your Father in heaven. Just think about it. If that is or were a reality, that that was the banner over your life, no reward for you. How horrible. What a waste of a life. No blessing from the Creator God. The benevolent, loving, holy father that we have. A child that is cut off from the reward of a father is a disgrace. But we, according to this text, we do it to ourselves when we ignore our master, Jesus Christ, because he tells us plainly, You will have no reward. And what's the actual sin? Let's clarify this for a moment. Giving to the poor is the context, giving to the needy in order to be seen. That's the context here. We could take this idea of self-seeking and desiring gratification and praise, we can take it into all sorts of categories. The context is talking about giving to those in need. I would be comfortable saying that it would include any sort of giving in order to be seen by others. The act of giving, being generous. See, it was what they were known for in this day. This was a big deal for the Jewish leaders, for religious people. They made a massive deal out of it. And you can tell by the context of what Jesus is saying. Why does doing these things cause us to lose the reward from our Father? And look at verse 2. This is the answer. How is it that by doing this we lose our reward? He says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue or in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's a key to understanding this text. They have received it. They've already received it. When did they receive their reward? As soon as their flesh was gratified by someone else seeing it and giving you praise for it. That was the reward. Done. Over with. See, it's not wrong to want to be rewarded, that's not what the text is saying. It's not wrong to desire reward. In fact, by the end of the sermon, I hopefully you're, you're in tune with and agreeing with the fact that it's actually right for Christians to live for reward. But we'll clarify what that actually means and what Jesus is saying here. It's not wrong to want to be rewarded. Rewards are built into the kingdom system that God has established. It's clear in Scripture. God has built rewards into our life as Christians. So we should believe it and enjoy it, right? This is what God has given us. We see it in Paul's teaching, a very classic place where rewards are talked about, and he's addressing the Corinthian church, and when he instructed them to take care of how they build on the foundation, you'll remember it if you look over there, 1 Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse 11, I can hear the pages, Yep, you're done. First, It's on the screen too. First Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. I would encourage you guys to turn in your Bibles when I mention those because then you'll just know where Scripture is. You ever been with somebody and they're like, hey, go to Corinthians and it takes you like 40 minutes to get there? You shouldn't be that. <laughs> Christians should know their Bibles. You should. First Corinthians 3: 11 to15 says, "For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's in the system. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, this would be a whole study in itself to really exposit this text. But clearly, what we can see from this, at least for the point we're trying to make, is that it's important to understand that before you build, you need a foundation. Let's just start there. Before you build, you need a foundation. It's as though as Christians, as believers in Christ, if that's who you are, you have been commissioned to build your kingdom house out of good materials that last. But the foundation has to be laid first. It would be foolish to start building with no foundation. So Paul says there is only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So think of that first. Is Christ the foundation of your life before you start trying to do a bunch of good things with your life? And Christ needs to be the foundation. The foundation has to be laid first, and that is the cement of the gospel. That's why here we emphasize so much belief in the gospel, not just do good works, but believe in Jesus as a response to his grace. Work hard, do good, love others, be the best at your job, be a light, be be salt with Christ at the foundation of all that you do. So if you're listening to this and you think you can just start earning rewards by being, well, tuning into this text and you start being a secretive giver and you're like going around and you're giving to the poor, well, you're sorely wrong if you believe that without the foundation of Christ, just giving to the poor is gonna build anything for you. It builds nothing according to the gospel without Christ as the foundation first. First. I would rather a person die in Christ with their sins forgiven, completely reconciled to the Father, eternally secure in God forever, than to have anyone be thinking about the rewards that they can earn in this life. That's how important it is to believe. I would rather someone believe the gospel if that's the last thing that they do than have a life full of good works and you've never trusted in Christ. You will go to hell. You will die in your sins and suffer forever ever. So what is the most important thing? It's Jesus. Trust in Christ. Believe in him. And then we take scriptures like this and they mean something to us because the gospel is at the foundation. So we know the most pleasing thing that you can do in the eyes of God according to Scripture is to surrender yourself to the Son of God and to surrender yourself to his will. God is supreme and he himself is a reward in and of himself. But the issue that this text is telling us and what's happening here, the issue is that our hearts crave the temporary immediate pleasures of sin. So even with the foundation of Christ, would you admit with me that as Christians, you still fight the flesh. You fight the desire for temporary cravings. And the pleasures that this world offers is because we're human and we are in need of continual sanctification and being transformed into the image of Jesus day by day. But it is a process. Think about this. How often do you fail to believe that if nobody saw your good deed, that your father who is everywhere has seen it, he will see it, and because he is good, he will reward you. What if everything you did from this point on was never seen by anyone? Would you still do it? Would you live your life, how you're living it, with no praise from any man? And I'm asking myself this too. This is important for us. Would you do it? See, that's the whole point. He's saying, "Your Father in heaven sees what is done in secret. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He knows all things. So he sees. And because he is good, he is a rewarder. Matthew 6, Jesus is telling us what some of the good material is that Paul was mentioning, this gold and precious stone, these things that actually build, that are reward worthy when you build them on the foundation of Christ. It's good to give to others for the purpose of glorifying God. It's good to give, but the Pharisees and scribes in this day were caught up in this one particular thing along with fasting and praying, which is what he addresses as he moves on in the rest of this chapter. And then Jesus expands on the warning more by giving us an example of the hypocrite. So now we know, don't do it this way, but here's more of an example. Verse two, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. Check. You guys throw your trumpets out. No more making a big deal with trumpets. It's obviously not just about trumpets, right? We get it. But in this day, they did that. Isn't that crazy? The trumpet would literally come out. Now, there isn't actually, this is what's crazy about biblical study and like diving into some of these things. We know that this is the case. We believe it from scripture. There are no actual written records of, hey, this dude one day went out and he took a trumpet. We know based on Jewish history and tradition that there were times when they they wanted to give and be benevolent they would do it from their own house and everybody would know hey so and so is at his house giving stuff away he's and everybody and it was a big deal they wanted to know hey everybody go to his house he's being he's being kind today go get poor all the poor go to his house and it was a big deal don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets what a shame that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So the hypocrites of Jesus' day were those scribes and Pharisees whose self-piety was more important to them than the actual will of God. Being seen that what you believed and what you did with your life caused others to praise you. And so remember that this is a heart issue I want to clarify, it's not sinful for someone to see you give. How many of you have ever, how many of you have thought that or think it, that if someone sees you give, you've lost your reward? I saw one hand go up. There's one honest person in this room. I'm just kidding. You guys are all pretty honest, I think. Um, It's pretty common. We've taken this text and we say, if somebody sees you, your reward's gone. Is that the heart of what Jesus is saying here? It is a heart issue. The issue is that the Pharisee in his heart did it for a specific reason, to be seen. It's not if you did it and someone saw you, boom, your reward's gone. So you just basically, (laughs) you're living your life like worried all the time of whether you should give and whether anybody's going to see you. But that's not what is happening. The hypocrisy was in pretending to be something that you're not. Think about that for a moment. Do you pretend to be something that you're not? The Jewish leaders would display their giving. They would sound trumpets and they would not give to the glory of God, but so that they would be known as a generous person. How do you want to be known? I want to be known as a generous person, so therefore, I'm going to give so that others can see me and say, wow you're generous. Jesus said they have received their reward. You know what that means? That word they have received, that word for received is paid in full. That's the sad part of it. When you do that, when you give in order to be seen, that is the reward, paid in full. That's it. The fact that they saw you You wanted praise, and you got it, and now the reward is done. And because this is an issue of the heart, we know someone can give to their church, to the poor, or to some cause, and if it's for the glory of God, the whole world could find out, and you would keep your reward in heaven. I truly believe that. Based on the text, Jesus isn't saying that the warning is being seen. The warning is that the heart doesn't desire to be seen. Does that make sense, guys? I want want that to be clear. I think this is a common one that can just get a little bit confusing. It's an issue of the heart. Check your heart. Not watch everybody else's eyes to see if they're looking. Look at yourself. Why do you want to do what you're about to do? That's where the, the sin lies. On the same token, I really believe this needs to be said. If you give or you do anything for your own glory and praise, if no one finds out, if no one finds out, but you still did it for self glory and self praise, your self praise becomes the replacement of your Father's reward. You've still lost your reward. Even if no one sees you, but your heart is still caught in vanity you've still lost your reward. So we know how we're not to behave in regards to the discipline of giving. It is a discipline, right? Giving in any way is a discipline, Christians. Whether you're giving to the kingdom through the work of your local church, which is a biblical, godly, necessary thing, or you're giving spontaneously to somebody that you believe the Lord has caused you to help and come alongside them. We know that it's a discipline, Jesus actually says, when you give, not if you give, that's a clue. When you give, the assumption is that you will be a giver. The assumption is that Christians will be givers, and we should be. Even just by the fact that our nature has been made new, we are made new in Christ. By God's grace, we are transformed in the likeness of Christ. Is Christ a giver? Is Christ a giver? Freely give? Freely we have received. Because he gave to us freely of his own life. He sacrificed himself. Can you outgive God? You, you can't outgive God. What does that tell us? God is the best giver. And he never stops giving. By the fact that we are linked to God through Jesus Christ, his son, we are givers. That's how we operate, to give in varieties of capacities. Give of our time, give of ourselves, give even in our weakness, we give. Because that's what Christ did. So this should be a part of our life. That's not debatable. Whatever you give, whenever you give, and to whomever you give, do it for the glory of God. The fact that people sometimes do this in hypocritical, hypocritical ways is not a good reason to refrain from them entirely. Have you ever heard somebody say, "Uh, I'm not going to go to church because they're all hypocrites? I mean, I'm sure we've all heard that. I'm not going to that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to participate in that because they're hypocrites. It's not logical to refrain from a good thing because a few people have tainted it or do it hypocritically. That doesn't even factor into whether a Christian does what Scripture demands or commands us. If Jesus says to give and be a giver and look look out for the poor, if Jesus tells us to be generous with our lives, we will do it regardless of whether someone is hypocritical in their giving or not because our master and Lord is Jesus Christ and nobody else. It's one of the most common excuses for not being involved with the church. Even Christians complain about the hypocrisy that's in the church. And they usually misunderstand what it means. So a little bit more clarification on that. A hypocrite is not a Christian who sins. You understand what I'm saying? A a hypocrite, the definition of hypocrite is not a, a Christian who sins. It's not anywhere near the definition of what scripture would give us. A hypocrite is a person who wears a mask to fool others and to say, because of this, I am closer to God than you are and it's a mask it's pretending to be something that you're not we all sin are we all hypocrites because we make mistakes and we sin and we fail that's not a hypocrite remember it's a mask it's pretending it's acting so really the hypocrisy is in a christian that says i don't sin and then they sin i don't sin and when they say that by their language maybe or what they do they come to church they do they do things and they by doing that they're saying i'm religious I don't sin, and of course we know that they do, and by that profession they mark themselves as a as a hypocrite. It actually can go both ways. Think about this for a second here, and this is what I mean by both ways. Sometimes the mask is piety, what we've already talked about. The person who is outwardly showing religious things and disciplines like giving and fasting and praying, doing it outwardly for others to see. Sometimes that's the mask. Now please, this is a little bit of a nuance, but I also believe this should be said in in light of this. as kind of the contrast. Sometimes the mask is piety, but sometimes the mask is also false humility. So you might be the person who's Pious and and by your outward actions, you're trying to prove to others that you're somebody that you're not, but also sometimes the mask, the hypocritical mask, is false humility. Now, think about this for a second. One of them says, I'm holy because I do all of this good. Another one says, the other says, I'm so transparent that my sin and my dirt is known to everybody, and because of this, I'm holier than those other Christians. Because I'm so transparent, Because everyone can see my sin, and I'm so honest about my sin, I'm holier than everybody else because I'm so transparent. Both of them are masks. Both need to be repented from. Both are not the way of Christ. Both are hypocritical. They're both unpleasing to the Lord because they both reject the gospel that saves a person based neither on their piety nor based on their weakness or how bad they are. None of that is considered in the factor, but it's on the merits of Christ alone who brings us all to look to Jesus no matter where we are. No matter what we're doing, how weak, how strong, how holy, how far along in the process of sanctification we are, we're all looking to Jesus. And so that is the equalizer. That is the solution ultimately to hypocritical living is to look to Christ, not other people. Compare yourself to Jesus. Strive after his will, his word, his law, his spirit. He makes both weak and strong obedient to Christ when we surrender to his will. So if you're struggling with sin and yet you come to church and lift your hands and worship, put money in the box, speak about all your charities to people and all of your memorization of Scripture and how connected you are with God, and in your private life you do not honor God, then you are a hypocrite. On the other hand, if you live a life of spiritual weakness and you avoid fellowship, you avoid the word, you, you shirk Christian disciplines, and you always are struggling with sin, yet you think, this is your thought, at least I'm not pretending like those other people are, then your mask is false humility and you need to repent too. Hypocri- Hi- hypocrisy is gross. You see that, right? I hope you see that. And we're all able to just say, God, help me my hypocritical heart. Whichever way I lean on a day-to-day basis, whether I think I'm, I'm so weak, so I'm better for being weak and I'm so humble about it, or wow, I'm so strong and I do all these great spiritual things, none of that is pleasing to God. But they would, we would truly be humbled before him And just seek his will and desire him. But the word of God, what we're looking at this morning, is a help. It reveals to us the way of Christ, which is the better way, revealing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is where we begin to find help for the struggle of our hypocritical hearts. Be a giver. Jesus is clear about that. Be generous in this life. That much is clear. But do not do it to be seen by men. In fact, Jesus instructs, this is kind of cool, right? He instructs a sort of sneaky operation when it comes to our giving. And it's, it's not so much that we all need to be going around in covert operations, although I've seen that, and it's actually kind of cool. I've seen it, like, with youth groups and stuff. They, like, dress up in black. <laughs> it's kind of sketchy. you got to tell the cops before you do this. But they, like, go around in the neighborhoods and, like, leave Christmas baskets and stuff and then run before anybody sees them. Hey, youth, sound fun? Yeah. See? Uh, sneaky. And that comes from things like that. Like churches do that, Christians do that because they see Jesus saying, be sneaky about how you give. Don't let anybody know. Nobody needs to know. But I don't think it just purely means that, that we just need to be covert all the time. But the way in which we live our lives unto God and with his glory in our, in our minds should be so ingrained in us that it's second nature. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand doing is not, is not actually possible In my mind, the closest analogy that I could think of was in musicians that practice and muscle memory where there's two hands doing something different and you don't even know it. You don't have to tell. Happens in drumming, it happens in guitar, you know, so that's, think about that. You, you do something so often and it becomes ingrained into you that you don't have to let your left hand know what, even what your right hand is doing. There's an unawareness even in your own heart that you're doing it. If you're unaware, then you really aren't caring about other people being aware of what you're doing. That's what Christ is saying. The heart of our giving, the heart of our generosity should be so much so that we're not even calling attention to it ourselves that it becomes second nature. Do you want that to be the the way it is in your life? Think, imagine your life, generosity, giving, praying, the things that we'll cover in the weeks to come, that it's second nature to you. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your life in Christ. It's Christian discipline. The right hand doing the good and the left hand unaware because you're not doing it to be seen but to do good for others and to be seen by your Father in heaven. Now notice this final thing. Just take note of this as we look at what the, the last part of the text tells us. He says, so that your giving may be in secret, and then finally, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, ultimately, everyone's doing things to be seen. Jesus is not saying, don't, things to, don't do what you do to be seen at all. He's saying, don't do what you do to be seen by others. Do it to be seen by your father. Because your father does see. So that's the blessing, is to intentionally do what we do to be seen by our father, who actually has the good reward to give us. Jesus is giving us permission to live for the reward of the Father and think only of that and not of the reward that can come from other people or from ourselves. And I think you just need to do and I need to do heart examination. What does that look like? What sort of change, repentance, correcting do we need from God's word today so that what we're doing is out of the right motivation of the heart. Everyone's doing things to be seen. Being seen isn't the sin. The sin is the prideful and self-seeking heart that desires the praise of man. Our Father in heaven is omniscient. He sees all. His reward is better than what you can offer yourself or what anyone else can give you. And the praise of man is temporary. God's reward is eternal. You know, there's something interesting about what Scripture teaches us is that God himself is a reward for us. God himself is the great reward. Having God and being reconciled to the Father through Jesus is a reward. It kills the flesh. It crucifies the self-seeking desire because as was read in our prayer, the heart of Christ was humility. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but with lowliness of mind. Scripture says, take on that mind, do to others according to how Christ would do it, not for self-seeking, but for self-denial and the good of others. God himself is the reward for us. We will dwell with him. We know he will distribute rewards. You know, the reward comes later, oftentimes. I think of a few rewards that I would count in my life as rewards, like a good and great reward, my children, my family, my wife. I consider those are great rewards, things that God has given. I don't deserve them. They're gifts. Here you go. But sometimes we don't see the reward in this life. Most of the time and most of the reward comes later when we're in his presence. We are waiting for that day. That's the Christian life. That's kingdom life, poor in spirit. Remember the Beatitudes? We're not going through this life seeking to gain all that we can here. We are looking to the next life, and we are living for the king who is on the throne right now. The day will disclose what sort of works we have done, whether for our glory or for his So finally, it's okay to live for reward. Just be sure to live for the eternal reward that our Father in heaven will give to those who diligently seek him, as it says in Hebrews. Faith pleases him, and when we come to him, we know that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So today, brothers and sisters, we need to confess. Now's the time. Think about it. Examine your heart. Confess what do you need the Holy Spirit to change in you? Repent of vain glory? What mask do you need to take off by simply looking at Christ and letting him examine you? Have you been wearing a mask? Any sort of hypocrisy? Jesus called it the leaven of the Pharisees. Later in Matthew, he says, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the at least seven times. You know what comes after that? You hypocrites. Woe to the Pharisees. Their hypocrisy is the leaven of the church. So let it not be leaven in this church. So confess it. And let's be a generous family of Christians. Be generous. Giving and sharing abundantly. Letting our light shine, as Christ said, light, light shining however we might do it, whatever opportunity is given that we would shine our light, but never letting our devotion to God be a means of getting praise from others. Doing it only for him is for his glory. And so let's be devoted to his glory because of what he has done for us through the gift of Jesus. That being the ultimate catalyst that everything we do is a response to his grace. All that we do is a response to his kindness and that we have the greatest reward in our Father in heaven. And he has the best rewards to give. Amen, church? Let's do this. Let's ask the Lord now to to change us, to transform us, to make these words hidden in our hearts and that we would do the hard work of repenting and turning, whatever needs to be confessed. So, Father, we thank you that your word is illuminating, your word is good and it is powerful and you are able to see into the inner depths of our soul Thank you, God, that there are many, the majority, you look at us and you you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. We don't claim it because of our own good works, but because of the merits of Christ, we have put our faith in Jesus. And even that alone was not our good work. It was a gift. Our faith itself being a gift. Thank you for saving our souls. How could we live for self-glory when you have done so much for us. Our great Father in heaven, you've given your Son, God who is rich in mercy, becoming poor so that through your poverty we might become rich. If you were willing to become poor for us, why would we seek vain glory? So God, meet our sinful tendency with clear truth today and your Spirit would convict us and make us to see where we need to turn confess repent and and follow after you God make us generous for the right reasons to seek the reward of our father to know that the reward of our father is coming you are our great reward we praise you Thank you for being so good to us. God, To protect us. Protect us from leaven. Lord, don't let the leaven of hypocrisy ever permeate this lump of dough. Our personal lives and this church. I pray we would be submissive to your word and just come boldly and humbly now, surrendering to your truth. Lord, help us... Th- Help us, Lord, as we reflect on these things to to be honest, to pour out our souls before you. and Here we are, take us, Lord, do what you want with me. Hide your word in our hearts, Lord, that we might not sin against you. We love you, Lord, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church Podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.